So I made up my mind, and this was on my heart before this ever happened, and God put it on my heart for a purpose and a reason that I wanted to go to young people. Now, I appreciate you folks being here, but I'd feel much comfortable if it was children and young people here because I'm after them. God can start young people out early hearing his voice. Samuel was at the temple. He was under Eli. And the Bible said he knew not the Lord. And he answered a voice that was calling him several times before Eli explained to him that could be the voice of God. He told him how to answer God. And from that day on, Samuel knew how to hear the voice of God. The Bible said here, let us hear what the Spirit had to say to the churches. There's a thin line between the Holy Ghost and your spirit. Very thin line. If you don't discern the differences, you're going to find yourself in, in confusion about some things. This is why it's important that you know that your feelings does not witness against the Word of God and be God. In other words, I'm saying, if God's Word says something, but your feelings says something else, feelings is not credible witness. But it's hard for us to distinguish when it's God and when it's our feelings. And, and when you live so close to your feelings, you can't tell whether the Spirit of God or you just, it, it's, it's a feeling. You also got to remember that there are, there are spiritual experiences that are noted by certain emotional effects that's brought me to a spiritual experience. And that spiritual experience may make me feel like I want to just go out and do the, take in and, and do the world and, and I'm going to live for God. I'm going to change my ways and all of that. And when you do get the Holy Ghost and you do just receive the Lord, you're going to find that wonderful experience and it puts you up to here. It isn't long until later you're saying, you know, I don't know what's wrong. I don't feel that high move of the Spirit like I did when I got the Holy Ghost. Is something wrong? No. God's Spirit came into your spirit, but your natural carnal feelings that you have, that you have to have to live in this world, likes to feel high. That's why they have dope addicts. That's why you got alcoholics. They want to get a, a high. And they've been trying to get one that can get up to the high and not come down. But it doesn't happen that way. It's only a few minutes and you're back down to, and trying to look for another fix. And it, it goes like that. Well, in Pentecost, we're so used to the blessings of God and the presence of God and the anointing of God and good preaching, good singing, that we enjoy those highs. But you go home and there's no piano and no organ there. There's no preacher there. There's nobody there behind you saying, praise the Lord, hallelujah. So all of a sudden, you're at home and 
just you and God now. God, where are you? I can't feel God without the piano and the organ and, and all the people and, and get the hype. Is anything wrong with that? No. But that should lead you to realize that learning to know Jesus, after you have been acquainted with him, you start learning those wonderful experiences of highs and blessings in the church is just a little bit of a cheer to tell you. When you go home and you get into a battle, you're suffering from certain situations. Don't lean on your feelings, but did you hear the preacher when he preached the word? Did the word touch you? Feelings won't change you. Prayer won't change you. It's the word of God that changes you. Until the word of God gets in you, you don't change, you can't change. It has to be in you. That word has to become flesh and blood inside of you. So when I began to seek the Lord and hungering and reaching, I discovered that I had to have a desire for God. And so I began to ask God, Lord, put a hunger in my heart for you. And I began to, I had that hunger, and I wanted to be intensified. And every morning when I got up early and, and started my routine, that hunger and that desire grew on me. You see, desire has to be first, or, or you can't motivate yourself strong enough. You've got to pray for a desire and a hunger and a thirst. Now, it only works on the hungry and the thirsty. If you're not hungry and thirsty, it won't work. So I want you to see that. You've got to get hungry and thirsty. Amen. And there's, when a man's starving, he grabs food, he crams it in his mouth. He's, he's thirsty, he's, he's got to have water. There's something about a hungry, thirsty person. That's two things you've got to have to live. Now, I live by the Word of God, but I've got to have a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God because that's what keeps me young. He renews my spirit. He renews my mind. And that Word gets into your spirit. You don't live by your feelings. You live by the Word of God, by every word. So I began to pray, and I said, Lord, Show me in your word. Teach me how to listen to your voice. I want to learn to walk with you, desire. You know what desire is? You've got to satisfy somebody else's desire before you can get your desire. I use this illustration to explain that. If I was going to buy an automobile that cost $25,000, I got $25,000, and he's got the automobile. He wants to sell the automobile, and I want to buy the automobile. I, I, I lost my water. I don't know where I put it. Good. Thank you. And you've got to realize that before I can get the car, I've got to satisfy his desire. I try to get him down in price, and he won't come down, but I want the car so bad that I say, I'll, I'll give you 25000 He said, if you give me $25,000, i will give you the car. If I satisfy his desire, he'll satisfy my desire. Are we connected? All right. 
And if a man ways can please the Lord, if I can find out what pleases God, and I do the things that pleases God, he said, I'll give you your desire. Because now I'm working on you. I'm giving you a desire. And I'm praying for a desire. And my desire is I want to learn to know you. I want to find you. I want you to open your word to me. Teach me your ways. And as I hunger and thirst after the Lord, he begins to open up his book to me a little bit at a time. And when he does, I get happy and thrilled. You know, did you ever run across something in the, in the Word of God and all of a sudden it excites you? All right? I don't want to lose that. I used to have an old man that worked for me on the job, and he was a fisherman. He was after me to go fishing with him, and I finally went fishing with him, and he showed me how to fish, and, 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 and I caught a big 18-pound uh, fish out in the, the bay and so on, and uh, he almost went crazy trying to keep from getting the reel out of my hand to pull it in. He got the shaking. He said, when I lose that, I'm going to quit fishing. It's the pull. It's the excitement. Let me tell you what. There's something about Jesus. His excitement carries depth in it. It carries some spiritual depth in it. You, you don't just get a little hype and walk away. You walk away with it burning in your heart, burning in your mind, burning in your soul. You go home with it. You feel it in your heart. You want to tell the whole world, oh, get on the housetop and just yell it out to the whole world. And so I said, then, Lord, what can I learn? And so I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua. And this is where I started after praying about it, hungering and thirsting and reaching. Listen to these words. Have you got it? Say amen. Need more time? The book of Joshua. Did I say Joshua? First chapter. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, just start the first book. First chapter, first verse. No, look, I'm going to take up the eighth verse somewhere along. Only, well, let's take up the seventh. It, it's all good. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law. Now, notice what I'm saying here. These points come to my attention when I was reading this. I quit reading the Bible and not taking in every word that he said. Now, get that point. That's very important. He said, I want you to observe all and that you may observe to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not to the right or the left, and I'll prosper you wherever you shall go. The book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, not thy head, thy mouth. You know what? You're up preaching a lot of times. You start saying some things you didn't even think you even knew. He put it in your mouth. If you put it in your brain, you might think over it too much. But he put it in your mouth. Now, he said, I, I want you to be in your mouth. Another reason I want it to be in your mouth, I want when you're observing and you're looking at it, you're going to be saying it. You're going to be reading it. You're going to be remembering it. You're going to be talking about it. It's going to be something that you can, uh, you can have happen in, in expressing it. But here's the little key in there. That's what may this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, 
Thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt have thy way prosperous, and you shall have good success. Now, I want you to notice something. He said that I want you to take the law. I want you to read it. Be very courageous to listen to it. I want you to observe to do all that's written therein. And then he said, I want you to meditate on it. Now, I want to talk about the meditate for a little bit here. The importance of meditation is that it takes God time to soak it into your brain. And he wants you to think on it and think on it. When you're talking, you're not learning. So he said, just meditate. Meditate on it. Meditation is like uh, remembering something that you read. You remembered the service. You remembered the scriptures. You remembered the preaching. You, you had something you meditated on, and you went back to it again. It's like, did you ever see a cow chew the could? Yeah, there's some farmers here. Okay, I used to watch an old cow. Uh, she, in a hot summertime, she'd get on the shade of the tree after she'd been out eating grass, doing whatever she did that morning, and she's sitting there chewing the could, and I used to watch that could come up, and they go back down. And she had a twinkle in her eye, and I often wondered, what is she thinking? And when she brings that old cud up, she goes to re-chewing that. She said, man, that's good. That was on that back 40 over there. Boy, tomorrow I'm going to go there first. That's good stuff. Now, what's she saying? She's remembering. She's meditating and chewing it again. When you take the Word of God and you meditate on it, and you meditate on it, and all of a sudden a crack of light comes into you, you say, oh, hallelujah. Don't run. Don't go. Stay there and keep thinking on it and meditating on it. But have your pencil and paper where you can write down your thoughts and put them down. That's what meditation is. Meditation is important to us. You can solve problems with your meditation. I, I tell you what I did one time. I built a house that was over the setback line. I didn't know it. The city didn't know it. Nobody knew it. But the old man in front of the house, there's a big old doctor, had a big home, and I was building in a cheap area. There wasn't big houses there. He's the only one that had a big house. And so, lo and behold, uh, we went down, tried to get a variance, couldn't get a variance. I thought, how will I move this thing? I got it ready to sheetrock. The roof is on it. Paper and wire on the outside. It's got a concrete floor. So I didn't know what to do. But for years, when I first wake up in the morning, I don't get up in a hurry. I lay in the bed and I meditate. I worried all night. I worried when the supervisor wouldn't give me a variance. And I thought about that house. Do I tear it down? What do I do? So next morning I said, Lord, I'm going to ask you to help me. Talk to me. He brought it to my mind. You remember you was in Sacramento the other day. He said you went by a pencil factory. And there's a bunch of little logs about this big and about that size. And you go down and get those and bring them back. Uh, get you a jack and jack up that thing and, and brace it up good. And, and put these logs underneath the uh, petitions. 
and just get a bunch of men and just push it over. So I see. I said, thank you, Jesus. I didn't think about that. I did all of that, did all the work. FHA gave me more money, sold it for more money. I put the garage on your side. It was on a corner lot. I put a double car garage over here. Now I had the house. I got my answer by just waiting on the Lord in my bed. Amen. I wait and meditate. I get a lot of answers right there. Because in the daytime, you're just fretting and stewing and worrying and fretting and racking your brain. Well, you slept all night and kind of give it a relaxation. And when you woke up in the morning, let's think about Jesus for a little while. Let's think about his word. Let's think about what you've got to do. And let that meditation kind of burn in your spirit. And God will give you an answer. Now, the next thing he says, and this is what you've got to keep in mind. He said, I want you to observe all. Let's all say all. That's written therein. You have to take this and, just, and understand it, that it meant all. And I'm going to just have to jump over some stuff, but just get down to this one scripture so you can catch it. If my people are called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves. Now, don't read no more. You can't even pray till you humble yourself. A lot of praying. You've been praying over a lot of proud, aggravated spirit. And God isn't hearing that. He said, I've been praying for it for a year. And you're still aggravated about it. He said, I want you to humble yourself. We haven't studied that word out yet. When you humble yourself, you can pray. And when you go to praying, you're going to learn how to start seeking my face. Then when you start seeking my face and you see me, you're going to see you. Now you can start forsaking your wicked way. What is a wicked way? It's your carnal way. That's a wicked way. He said, now you can forsake your way. And now I can answer your prayer. If we take the book of what it says and take every word, the Lord said every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, man, you got to take it either every bit of that. I want you to see that sometimes we get happy when the preacher is preaching and he preaches about Jesus, about the word. And we're going to have a good time, but we're not going to do a thing about it. I got tired of that. I got tired of getting stirred and not changed. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. We're used to being, you got to get me up high, get me feeling great, get me feeling wonderful. That's just an experience. I wanted something below the waterline that was going to be strong enough to keep me level enough that when the storm arrived, I won't capsize and drown. You can't live off of the froth. You can't live off of the, the, the blessing or the joy. I'm not doing away with it. We have that when we come to church. But when you go to live it on the outside, you better get your book and get acquainted with Jesus Christ. Let's thank him for it. Now, I put that up there. You can't hardly read it. Try that one, see if it's any better. That's the verse I gave you yesterday. Now, 
Then I was praying, and I said, Lord, David was a man after your own heart. What did he do that pleased you? You ever think of that? He said, I said, well, Lord, whatever did David do, I want to do what he did. And I began to look in the scripture. David praised the Lord for God's creation and for the heavens and all of God's creation. And when God spoke to Job, read it, he told him about what he had made. That where were you when I made the whale and when I made the giraffe and all these things? Where were you? God likes to be bragged on for what he's done. Don't call it nature out there someplace and just think it doesn't mean anything. David took time out to tell God how wonderful it was, the things he'd made. You look at this beautiful building here, and what do you look at? You look at somebody's vision for it, and you tell Brother Suber, oh, you've got a beautiful building here. But if we come here and enjoyed it, didn't say a word, he'd say nobody seemed to notice the building. When God made this earth beautiful, supplied all of our needs for it, he wants you to stop so often and say, thank you, Jesus. You did a good job. Thank you, Lord. You did a wonderful job. I want to thank you for all you've done for us. I thank you for how you provided all of this for us. If you ever been to the redwood trees and looked at the top, there's one up there that's the tallest in the world. It's over 300 feet high. You've got to throw your head way back. It tells you that you've got to stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for the redwoods. It can draw water and feed the top limb. I don't know how you do it. It doesn't have a pump inside, but it has life inside how does he do it i don't know how i don't worry about how he does it i just know he does it i know he does it there's people that studies how it happens they explain it all i listen to that and say yeah that's great he knows how to do it but you can't do it you cut it down and put that that piece of lumber off of that tree in, in the ground, it'll soak up water just about that high off of the ground. That's all. Dead as a doornail. But when Jesus plants, you know that a redwood seed is, is so tiny, about like that, you can't see it. 3,500 redwood seeds makes one ounce. 3,500 redwood seeds makes an ounce. If you planted 3,500 of those seeds, you can build a city in about 3,000 years. The redwood tree never stops growing. It only grows in certain climates. And what I'm trying to explain to you, David began to look at what God had created. There's, I think God has a, listen to this one, really to me, I think God had a good time making things. He, he made some odd-looking things, didn't he? If you take in, you know, we, we pay out of our tax money, these, these uh, gurus that go out and study all about the monkeys and the ants and the birds, the bees, and everything else. We pay them money to go out and study that, live among them and study it. I haven't got time for that. I'll read what they've got, and I'll find out what they've got. But I'm going to say, thank you, Jesus. I'm glad you made monkeys. I'm glad you made elephants i'm glad you made giraffes beautiful wonderful 
But look, he said, told Job, he said, I can't hardly read him. I got cataracts coming. And my eyeglasses flick on me, so I'm going to have to miss and hit here. He said, Gettest thou the good thing, uh, wings? Of, I can't even tell, brother. Oh, I gavest thou the goodly wings of a peacock, wings and feathers under the ostrich. He said, You see them? He said, This old gal said she lays her eggs in the earth and warms them in the dust and forgetteth that her foot may crush them or the wild beast may break them. She is hardened against her young as though they were not hers. Her labors in vain without fear because God deprived her of wisdom neither did he impart unto her understanding. Now what? Now look at that. That old bird's got wings. She can't fly. She can run. But she lays her eggs in the sand and doesn't know they're hers. I don't know what that is. But she steps and crushes them. So she doesn't know what she's doing. God said, I deprived her of understanding. She, don't, doesn't, she doesn't like her kids. When they're born, she pushes them off. I know some people that are dodos too. They don't love their kids. They don't care for their children. And I want you to know they're void of understanding. Now, he said, I deprived her and the reason he did, he disliked variety. Yet there are other animals and birds that have what it takes to take care of their young. And they do it well. God took time to talk to Job about his creation in both of these chapters. Now why did he talk to him about the heavens? And the, uh, I mean about things in heaven. He wanted him to start appreciating things he already made on the earth. Because if I saw you heavenly things, you wouldn't believe. Did you ever stop to think what the Lord left in heaven? He could have brought 10,000 angels, no problem. He could, have got a, he could have brought part of the gold on the streets and laid it down in front of you, but he didn't do it. He could have, he could have brought his crown and showed you his crown. He could have, he could have, he could have showed you all of the the glamour and the beauty, but instead he was humble enough to be born of a woman in a stable and became nothing to be able to come where we were so he could bring you to where he is. Aren't you glad Jesus made a plan? Jesus is going to take care of his kids. He's going to take care of his church. He didn't born this church to leave it out here to die in the wilderness. Let the devil ramshackle it. We may get upset over it, but let me tell you what, friend. Don't you walk away. It's going to get okay after a while because God's got more in the bottom of this boat than what you know about. It may look like it's going to capsize, but it's going to come back. Hallelujah. The Lord wants this people to realize living for God and learning about him, he provided for you that you can live for God under any circumstances because he didn't have a church that's going to fail. 
Amen. I don't know whether you read that book about the perfect storm or not. Anybody ever read that book, Perfect Storm? Well, on the East Coast, there's a three huge storms, big hurricane storms that hit the East Coast at the same time, same place, same everything. It was a storm of the century. I heard the captain of the ship that went out to rescue those fellows. And it was quite interesting to, and, and I want to tell you what, friend, we got some brave Coast Guard fellows out there. They, had, they took their ship out there when these others were capsized. They were sinking. But he told one illustration that I want to pass on to you. He said, we come near this little boat. There's three fellows on it. The sail was all messed up in the rigging, and they couldn't lower a basket down lest they get hanged up with that with a helicopter. The wind's blowing. The waves are high, 100-foot high waves. And I got a big, multi-ton, uh, huge boat. And he said, I could come close enough. I may run over them. I may crush them. And he said, how am I going to get them in? He said, I didn't know what to do. We, we sat down and looked, and, and he said, that thing would... Roll. He said, you could walk on the walls better than the floor because when that thing leaned, it brought the wall down and made a floor out of it. He said, that's how much we rolled. But we were made to roll 51% and still come back up. But he said, in the middle of all of that, we searched our brain. We couldn't find how in the world we was going to be able to rescue these men without running over them or doing something. And here's what he said that really touched me. When we couldn't find an answer with all of our brains to figure it out, we took our manual out and went back to the basic. Said we followed everything in the basic and we rescued them. And brought them on board. Tell you what, friend. It's good to get this old manual out. And go right back to the basic. That'll rescue you every time. This old book is right. This old book will stay right. It's our duty to be able to do what it says. Don't look at it and question it. But do what it says. Amen. Okay. Lay that aside. I... The battle of the mind, and uh, the reason I got uh, made this, Brother Emery was at our church preaching a revival, and he was preaching on David and the sling, and he was dramatizing it, and he had all our young people out in the middle of the floor here. I mean, we were throwing stones, and uh, we were fighting, uh, beating the air. And oh, we had a hoedown. All of those kids were just, man, we're going to win the victory. We're going to do it. And uh, we're going to fight the battle. And, and they were just having a great time. That's a religious experience. That's not a spiritual life. That's a momentary rise of courage to fight an imaginary enemy that I don't see. It's a storybook, and I'm one of the actors in it. And let's act it out. We're going to kill Goliath. 
We dramatize this thing, friend, until you can see it. In fact, you start seeing it before the preacher gets to the, the punchline. You start to shout because you see it. You see it. Your imagination is working, isn't it? Okay. I thought, well, now, Brother Emery, that's a good message, and you'll feel good about preaching it. But I guarantee you those kids next week won't even know you preached it because they're going to, go, they're going to do what they know to do with whatever they've been struggling with. They're going to go back to their carnal nature to struggle and, and deal with it. And so I come up with this. If, if it helps you, okay. If it doesn't, then don't worry with it. That word says imagination on that side up there. What is imagination? Imagination is that mind to mind that's like God, that much like God. I can see something that's not now. I can see it done. I can see uh, the building that we want. I envision my building, and, and uh, I have the architect. I tell him how to put it together, and when he finishes it, and he says, well, this is the type of building you're talking about. Yes, sir, I saw that. I was walking inside of the building in my mind, and I was going to all the rooms in my mind in my imagination. Are we connected? Do you have an imagination? I don't know where you're dead or alive. Hear me. Well, let me see how much imagination you've got. If I had a big watermelon, I cut it right open right here. That red juice is running out the sides, and, and you're hungry for watermelon. And I said, you want a taste of that? Your taste buds inside of you standing up and saluting and says, get it, get it, get it, get it. Because you feel it. Your mind, your imagination made your taste buds feel something that you didn't even have yet. You haven't even tasted it. God gave you an imagination to imagine and to understand what it's going to be like living for God. I got an imagination to know what heaven is going to be like. But I want you to understand what I'm saying. There's something about that when I go to imagine what it's like to be in, to be in heaven, it stirs my emotions. And I go to feeling something. And then it gets into my affections. I'm in love with a vision of going to heaven, living for God. Are we okay on all of that? But all of that is on feeling. It's all feeling. But if those feelings are not regulated by good godly reasoning, your feelings will make a dope addict out of you. It'll make an adulterer out of you. It'll make you follow feelings. Judgments, we say, judgment begins at the house of God. I, I couldn't understand some of that about that judgment business. That, that was the only time that we got judged is when we curse come to God. But that's not what he's talking about. God's Word tells you how to judge everything. He tells you what's right, what's wrong, what's black, what's white. 
his judgments are right. Now, you don't get a conviction about something until you get down the fact that you say God is reasonable. Paul said in Romans, I therefore, brethren, he said, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. He said, holy. Whoa, wait a minute. You've got to get holiness before you can present your body a sacrifice. It's got to be holy. It's got to be acceptable. He said, that's just your reasonable service. This idea of taking the thought that when we look at that reasoning up there, that, oh, these standards are too much. I tell you what, if you can't keep these standards, you're not even Pentecostal. I doubt if you got the Holy Ghost. You might speak in tongues, but I don't think you're doing you any good because you're not ruling your life. God may be trying to get you to do it, but you're not doing it. But I'm trying to explain to you, we ought to love the fact that I can give God my body. He gave his body on Calvary. He said, I want you to give your body to serve me. I want you to forsake your own way, take my way, live for me, serve me. It's reasonable. There's three things about preaching it's got to be before it's effective and becomes really what God wants. It's inspiration. We call it anointing, inspiration. Uh, it, it's exciting, it's thrilling. And the Word of God is, it really is. And then it has to have some information with it. With all my excitement, I've got to have something that tells me what to do with my excitement. I've got to have something that tells me something about what the, the Lord wants out of my life. You see, when you get uh, inspiration, uh, you have to give some information on how to be saved, how to live for God, and all of that. It didn't do you one bit of good. Oh, I felt good. Did you change? No, I'm thinking about it. I want you to see that. Folks said I had a conviction and they had a standard. And I saw them later on and they, they didn't have that same standard. You know what a conviction is? It's believing a truth so strong that you'll die for it before you'll change. Don't call conviction because you got intimidated by somebody else's conviction. No, 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 no. It's got to be inside of you, buddy. It's got to be deep enough inside of you. That conviction, it, you wouldn't sell it. A woman was being dealt with by her immoral conduct that she had. She said, but I'd never cut my hair. Well, what a deal that is. We preach the hair, we're so... We preached that so strong and we left out immorality. I want you to hear what I'm telling you. Moral issues is at the top of the line on everything and every time it's mentioned, it's always mentioned these moral sins. I'd, I'd like for uh, I'd like somehow that I could get you to understand what I'm trying to say here. Just a second. I was born wrong. I had the wrong parents. No, they didn't get me mixed up in the hospital. I just born wrong. You were born with the nature of the devil. 
put that one on first. No, the other one. Now, I want you to see what you was born with. Now, don't be sanctimonious and think, oh, I'd never do that. Tell you what, when you go to obey in your flesh, you'd be surprised what you'll do. You don't stop at one thing. You keep moving. Because it loses all of its flavor. You've got to go find something deeper. You can't hardly read that, can you? Well, okay. Yeah. Pull it back to me some. I mean, yeah, just pull it on back. No, the other way. No, I want to see if you can see the bottom of that thing. That's the way. Okay, it's adultery, fornication, promiscuity, uncleanness. Where did I go the next one? I don't know. Just believe me when I tell you what it says. <laughs> Lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Those are all wrapped up in immorality. Witchcraft is immorals of the lowest nature. And all of that comes from feelings. Now, don't be so pious when I say these things. You can sit right in this service here. God gave you the Holy Ghost in your spirit. But your carnal nature that has lived in the sin before you come to God will bring back to you something you did that you got repented of even while you're sitting in the Holy Ghost filled service. Now you haven't sinned. That's just a flesh with a flashback. But tell it in the name of Jesus. But son, it ain't no more. I used to be, but I'm not now. Thank God I went to Calvary. He cleansed me. He purged me. He set me free. He gave me a new garment. He gave me a new name. He gave me a new life. He gave me a new Jesus. He gave me a new father. He gave me a new mother. Hallelujah. Now you've got to know Jesus well enough that you don't let the devil come along and play with your head. And I want to tell you what, when you go to that internet, and you let that thing flick over there in that pornography. And you're going to play a while. You're going to let it linger a while. See what you can see over there. That thing's going to follow you wherever you go. You're trying to get in the spirit and it flicks back in your brain. Because what you've had come in your brain never leaves your brain. Everything you've ever seen, heard, smelled, or in, in whatever you've experienced, your brain recorded it. And I want you to know fighting the flesh is worse than fighting the devil. And I want you to know, if you're going to know Jesus Christ, you've got to crucify the flesh in Jesus' name. The imagination of mine was upon evil continually in Noah's day. It's on evil continually now. The pornography that we're hearing about and seeing people fall into today, and I want you to know, I'm surprised to those in the church that have prayed through that still have problems with that. You can sneak the magazine around. 
hide it under the bed or do whatever you want. But I'm here to tell you when you love sin and your flesh loves sins, it's going to keep talking to you, keep working on you, trying to get you to go back to sin. Go back to sin. And if you think you're going to satisfy the lust of your flesh for a while by playing around with a little idea, nobody knows, but I'm just going to see what's going on. I want you to, I want you to recognize this. There is no place you can compromise with your morals. You've got to be able to be 100%, 1,000 strong. You can't quit. You can't give up. You've got to fight it every day. I've had young people come and say, but for the price, I, I have these feelings. Yes, you have these feelings, uh, but I'm not leaning on feelings. I'm not trusting in feelings. Uh, I'm trusting in the Word of God. Romans 8. Let me show you something here. Seventh chapter was a big struggle of Romans. And he, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I want you to know that sin carries death in it. Sin only satisfies for a little while. I want you to know something. Immorality only satisfies for a moment. Then it turns into hate. It turns into regrets. You bring shame on yourself, on your family, on the community, on God, and name it all. Uh, immoral sins at the top of the list. Whenever God lists them, he lists that first. Can God save us from immorality? You better believe he can. But let me tell you what. He can't have you every once in a while jump over there and try to enjoy a little bit of the scenery at least. But let me show you what the scripture says. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then they that with my mind, myself, I serve the Lord. But with, with the flesh, the law of sin. Now the flesh wants to serve sin. But my mind is transformed. It's renewed. I want to serve God. But now listen to the next verse. Therefore. Now. No, it is therefore now. No condemnation in them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, and, and this is your private struggle. This is your personal private struggle. Now, let me try to explain it this way. The lower law of gravity can be overcome by the law of aeronautics. 
The laws of Washington of the United States of America are over the laws of the state. Are we connected? Okay. The higher law overcomes the lower law. The law of gravity says you can't take tons and tons of weight off of the ground. But the law of aeronautics says, if I could design this plane in such a manner and get engines strong enough to give it such force down a runway, I can overcome the law of gravity by the laws of aeronautics. And I get in that plane and the guy revs up those motors and we got all that weight on there and uh, uh, he, he heads down that runway and he gets to be about 100, 130 miles an hour and he pulls back on the stick, we start to rise. Now the law of aeronautics overcame the law of gravity. Are we okay so far? All right. But the law of gravity is always there. I could be spiritual if I could just take my flesh and put it out in the yard. Dear God, if I could just get this flesh out there somewhere away from me. But this body of flesh, Paul said, I fight it every day. If Paul had to fight it, I got to fight it. I've heard young people say, you don't trust us. No, I don't. No, I don't. Don't tell me how I trust you. The more you tell me to trust you, the less I trust you. You don't know the law. You don't know the power of gravity. You don't know the power of lust. You don't know the power of your feelings. Many of my young people have said, we didn't mean to go so far. No, but you didn't have anybody around to keep you from going far, did you? You was all by yourself somewhere, wasn't you? You lived under certain circumstances, put yourself in certain positions, and that's what's happened. I don't care if you're old or young. No fool like an old fool. There's something that's got to get into our spirits. There's no way you can play with the devil and play with your flesh and play with sin in any way, shape, or form. There's no way. You've got to shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. We are suffering. Well, that internet. We've had two marriages already, maybe three, I don't know. They found somebody on the Internet. The Internet becomes their God. God can't give me a wife or a husband, but I can look on the Internet and I'll find me one. Huh? Oh, say there a while? I think I will. <laughs> but I'm tired. I want to sit down. Man. We got a man in our church got on the internet and found a Russian girl over in Russia that he wanted to go over and get. And she's wanting to come. Now, when two people want to do something, you, 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 counseling is, is out. Forget it. Friend, he went over and brought her here. 
She's in the church now. She got the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. But when she got here, she discovered him to be hooked on pornography. She said, I'm not going to live with a man like this. Now i got a mess on my hands. Here, Lord. Here she got the Holy Ghost and baptized in Jesus' name. And she's got a little girl, 11 years old, sweet as she can be. And here we are stuck with a marriage and a situation that absolutely, there's no way you can put them together. They fight like cats and dogs. He's about 50 and she's 38. You know, fellas, you're crazy to think that you get somebody that does as dumb to marry you. And then you turn around, you find out that, that she's brighter than you are. And all of a sudden she turns and says, I don't want to live with you no longer. You're too dumb. She thought he was dumb. She's got a degree. In Russia, she's, her degree equals a doctor's degree. In uh, microbiology. Yeah, whatever that is. He's a welder. I don't have no torch that can put that together. This don't work. He thought he was going to get a Russian girl. She's going to serve him. She's going to be able to be, take care of him. She's going to be his playgirl. Hey, don't you think those women over there got a little brain? They know when you get them just to use them. But in his mind, he thought he could make it work. Now, I didn't know this was his problem, but she, she found it. Uh, there is something about pornography that is, that is so devastating to a woman or to a man. Women are hooked on it too. It degrades. It desensitizes you as a person and makes you an object in a thing. Sin. And it sisses while you say sin. We have got so used to some of this junk being around that we kind of think it's just a little bit of a problem, you know, weakness. I'm here to tell you, the flesh has got to be put under, killed, slaughtered. Now, there's three things you have to outrun to make it to heaven. I didn't understand it. The Lord said there's one that wins the prize and everybody's running. I thought I was running. You was running. We're going to meet the prize. I never could figure it out. But that's not what it means. I'm running against my flesh against the world, and against the devil. All three of them, any three of these three, get me, I'll miss heaven. The flesh, the world, Satan. I got to outrun all three. And the flesh is your worst. It 
Is that enough? Okay. I want the Lord to help us. Uh, I, don't, I don't have time to put the other one up there. He's got it there, but uh, it, it says hatred and wrath. Read the works of the flesh in Galatians, okay? And then read the fruit of the Spirit. Brother Barnes was on that just the other day. The fruit of the Spirit. Paul said we're all in a race. And said so we got to run to win. I didn't run to just to be running. I'm running to win. I want to try to help us to see your imagination creates situations in your brain that you've got to actually cast it out. Now it comes back. Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Paul says, I hit my flesh where it hurts. In other words, I hit the problem where it's at. If evil imaginations become in your brain, into your mind, and Paul said, we all got to fight it. Some folks say, well, I never have an evil thought. You're lying. Don't tell me you don't. If you're a human being, you got evil thoughts. You got lustful thoughts. Oh, God, don't tell me that. Oh, yes. Don't be so sanctimonious. Don't get the idea that it's not there. Don't live in denial. You're fighting the devil, the flesh, the world, and the devil, and all of that. I want you to know it's no way to make it look like it's not there. You go fight it in the name of Jesus. We don't seem to catch on. Peter said this. And I want you to listen to how he writes it. Second Peter, first chapter, according to the divine power has given unto us. No, wait a minute, second verse. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How? Through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. According as the divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? The knowledge of Jesus, him, and has called us to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding and great precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruptions in the world through lust. I want you to see something that God's purpose in coming to us is not to get you to heaven, just to get you to heaven. God's purpose in coming is to be able to get you to get rid of your nature and get his divine nature. His divine nature. You've got to get the nature of Jesus Christ. We don't preach enough on that. We preach about the miracles. We preach about the healings. But some people that are healed have not gotten rid of a bad attitude and a bad spirit and the bad thoughts and all the rest of that. I want you to know you hinder your prayers. You hinder the Spirit of God. You need to clean up your life by obeying every word in the Word of God. And then you're going to start enjoying following after Jesus to learn to know Him, to walk with Him, and to serve Him. The fruit of the Spirit will be, be flourishing in your life. You'll feel the Spirit of God. You'll love the things of the Lord because they're divinely given and you can enjoy it. I, I can't teach on this. Just, just reading it to you is all I'm going to do. But he said the fruit of the Spirit is love. Uh, oh, I can't stay there. 
joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Every one of those is tender, loving attitudes toward everything. Your attitude is right. We was over in Jerusalem, and I had an Arab for a guide, and we went to the place of, uh, where the Lord was out on the boat and preaching to thousands of people and so on. And uh, we was in a house up above the lake, and, and the old Zach was telling us about, he said that when he spoke and brought the beat, be attitude. He said, he said, be of this attitude. It helped me to understand. The old Arab had a good thought. Somebody gave it to him. He didn't get it because it was just part of his program, but it was a good thought. He preached a little sermon about be of this attitude. He said the Methodist church brought over 20,000 people or something like that to be able to, to, to reenact that scene. And they had people sitting on the uh, on the slopes on rocks there's plenty of rocks no wonder people got stoned easy you just ammunition's right on the ground it's just rocks everywhere they were just sitting and he said and there was a, a, a Methodist preacher in a boat just out a little ways from the shore and he's preaching to the people he said we could hear him up here it's just a normal natural uh, uh, surrounding uh, atmosphere there that it carries your voice what I want you to see is that you've got to be of this attitude. Be this of this attitude. Our attitude is what governs what we do, the way we act. And I want to be like Jesus. I want his attitude. I want his spirit. I want to know him well enough that I can love like he said. He only gave one commandment that was the most important commandment of all. He could wrap up the book of the law and everything else. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. If you can keep that one, friend, you're a Christian. As I have loved you. That's the only way you're going to be able to learn to know him is learn how to love like he loved and have it in your heart. He's a great God. I love him. Let's stand and praise him. Let's stand and worship him.